0: Family Life, a panel discussion. Hear stories and real-world advice from people with SEI about having children biologically or through adoption, parenting, and fulfilling other important family roles after SEI. This is Session 5 at our 2019 SEI Conference, Connections, Sexuality, and Relationships After Spinal Cord Injury. Let's listen in.
1: Myself, uh, again, my name is Scott Chesney. I have navigated life with paralysis for almost 34 years now. Uh, First 15 years of my life was on my feet, and then I basically woke up to paralysis. I didn't have an accident, injury, or any kind of trauma. I had what's called an arterial venous malformation, and it was congenital, so I was born with it. Didn't affect me until I woke up one morning after a high school basketball game and was left paralyzed. So now I consider myself for the last 34 years a survivor and thriver with paralysis. Um, It has not held me back. I would not trade this for anything. I compare paralysis to heaven and hell. And in heaven I've learned so much about life and in hell I've learned it as well. And as you'll learn from me as well, uh, I call parenting heaven and hell as well. And I wouldn't trade that for the world either. Um, I do have two children. I call them M. Impossible because I was told they were M. Impossible. I have a 16 year old daughter Nia and a 14 year old son Ray. Um, I told an audience the other day, um, when they asked me what my toughest challenge was, I had a guy hit the guy next to him and said, he just told us he's been paralyzed for 34 years. What do you think's the toughest challenge of his life? I was like, by the way, it's not sitting in his wheelchair for 34 years. About 500 people looked, just stared. And I said, raising a teenage daughter. I was like, I got this. What comes out of that doorway down at the end of the hallway? I have no idea. Um, Been married for a little over 20 years now. Um, to the love of my life, a physical therapist, not my physical therapist, so uh, I just wanted to make that clear. Uh, do a lot of motivational speaking and life coach. I'm an ambassador, and I know you all saw a great table out there for both Kessler Foundation and an ambassador for the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, and um, just thrilled to be with you today and be a part of this great, diverse, and distinguished panel. So uh, with that being said, Jamil, you want to tell them a little bit about yourself?
2: Yes, yes. My name is Jamil Williams. I've- Coming up on 17 years for a spinal cord injury, um, I've been working at Kessler West Orange campus for six years now. I was actually an inpatient there back in 2002 and been going back ever since for outpatient therapy and, uh, you know, I'm here. <laughs> Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. That's, that, that's
1: smiley face. You yeah. ever go to Kessler, You get that smiley face right away, and you're like, what, what's life so good? Just talk yeah. to him, and you will find out why life is so good. Yeah, try to stay positive.
3: Tim. My name is Tim Kelly. Uh, I've been in chair now uh, almost nine years now. Uh, so I'm born in spina bifida. I was upright for 45 years. Uh, my last surgery, unfortunately, put me in a chair, uh, which is okay, because I guess uh, at the end of the day, I was expecting I'd eventually be like this. Uh, I currently have an eight-year-old son who was born a week after I arrived home from Kessler from my surgery, and then I currently have a six-year-old daughter too, Uh, and I've been married now for 12 years now.
4: My name is uh, Carol Neal, I'm a wife to a wonderful caregiver um, that We've been married now 52 years. We've been, um, I was injured uh, four years ago. Um, I have four children that are all married and nine grandchildren. Um, I'm one of the things when I was injured I was in a motor, motor uh, vehicle accident. And um, at that time and I still think at this time, for Ow. me being only four years, this has been the hardest thing for me to have to challenge, even though going through with teenagers in four years, at one point I thought that was hell. But they do grow up, hopefully. I don't lie, I don't lie. (laughs) And hopefully, you know, they they get on and they have a good life. But um, I've seen changes. I've always done a lot of things with my grandchildren, and um, uh, the last two I had to like Move into being able to try to figure out how I can do things with them, so uh, you know it's it's been difficult um, times, but I just pick up now i'm i 'm in the senior group, the real senior group, and um, i've be- more or less become an advocate and you know a strong person in my community that they actually consider me and admi- ad- they admire me uh, that I can get on and uh, the one thing I know when I was first injured, I looked around and I went into the um, uh, gym and I saw all these people and I thought, boy, I thought I had it bad. And then I'd see this one, that one, whatever. And I realized that, you know, I don't have it as bad as others. But the one thing I said, well, I'm, I have to think about this as far as all these young people, they have their whole life. I'm at the end of my life, coming, coming towards the end of... of...
1: Stop, you're gonna live another 100 years. <laughs> Hopefully. Exactly. Absolutely. And I,
4: but I got over that and I'm moving on with it. So anyway, I made paraplegic and uh, we are getting along. I'm moving forward. I think I have...
5: Okay. Hi, I'm Rosalie Hannigan and I've been uh, injured for six and a half years now. Broke my neck while body surfing at the ocean. And um, I've been married for 19 years. We just celebrated our anniversary with this loving and caring and patient man. And um, I, we have two children: one 17 and one 17-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old son. And like what Scott said. Yes, the hardest thing that I've ever been through actually is raising a 17 year old. Oh will say raising a teenager.
1: Can, can I pause and you real quick? Listen, I don't want anyone leaving now saying I came here because I want to have children and now I everything they're saying. It's heaven and hell and it's the best thing in the world. Talk to us first. To you. That's right. So. And we'll rent them to you on the weekend if you want. <laughs> That's right. Okay.
5: So anyway, um, so I'm a semi-functioning quadriplegic. It may not be obvious, but I am. But I just um, make the most of what I can do with what I have come back. And I know that I'm still going to be, uh, and I am still improving, progressing. And nevertheless, so being a mother and a quadriplegic is tough. And not easy, but nevertheless, I made sure that my children know that I'm still the boss of the house, although it's not easy for them to comprehend that because now that they're told, so I have to look at them instead of them looking, you know, I have to look at them instead of them looking, you know. Anyway, so I still maintain that I'm the boss, no matter what.
6: <laughs> and
5: anyway, we can discuss more about it later.
6: Uh, my name's... Jim Hannigan, and as Rosalie mentioned, we've been married for 19 years. Uh, Almost, it'll be seven years ago where she got into her accident when we were on a family vacation down at the shore, which was August 23rd, worst day of our life, but uh, you get past that and you move forward um, because life only works when you're going forward. Uh, So as Scott and everyone mentioned, yes, Teenage daughter definitely keeps you on your toes. Uh, I got a phone call last night at 1 a.m. that she ran out of gas. So that's just one of the adventures. Um, and then she proceeded to leave the window down in the car with all of this rain. this so, rain. So she will not be driving the car this weekend.
1: <laughs> and she just started driving. You got people who are standing up right now, running out of their
6: chairs. <laughs> this isn't good. I apologize, Gene. No, it's fine. <laughs> Um, And uh, we have a 10-year-old son as well who keeps us on our toes. He's very active, uh, enjoys a lot of sports. I coach his soccer team. We go camping with the Boy Scouts whenever they have activities. Uh, And weekend family time is definitely uh, a priority. I work in New York City for a French investment bank, so it's a uh, very high-stress job. And so uh, downtime is very important for us. Um, And we're just... uh, Taking one day at a time.
7: I'm Cassandra Dempsey. I um, got my injury on Halloween in 16, so it's coming up on three years. I am married; been married to my wonderful husband for going on six years. Uh, He's great. He was my caregiver when I first came home and whatnot, doing things that you know some of you, I'm sure, are aware your significant other spouse should never have to do, but he did them anyway. Um, <laughs> And he's grateful it's over now, by the way. <laughs> um, I'm also a mother of twins who will be three on Halloween this year. Uh, they're my light and joy. And at the same time, they're the devil incarnate. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they're wonderful, so. Uh, and that's pretty much it, yeah.
8: Thanks. Hi, I'm Angela Smith. I actually work for Kessler Foundation as the Senior Research Coordinator in the Neuropsychology and Neuroscience Lab, but I'm kind of thankfully not here today to talk about research. Um, I was married to a um, C56 quadriplegic for 23 years. Um, His name was Michael. Uh, Michael passed away in December of 2016, but um, we had 23 wonderful years together. We were married for 10, and we were actually trying to have, um, you know, a a child through natural methods, and we were, uh, you know, not succeeding. So we decided to adopt, and we adopted a little boy who is not so little anymore um, when he was eight and a half months old from Korea. Uh, He's 14 and a half, going on 40, and uh, I'll tell a good story instead of a, a nightmare story. He graduated this morning from eighth grade. And uh, yeah, he, thank you. As, as I was driving down here, I was wondering if I could tell this story without breaking up, but he wanted to wear something of his dad's for the ceremony, and he asked to wear his wedding ring, <laughs> his wedding band, and he said, should I wear it on my left hand? I'm like, no, that means you're married, so we'll wear it, we'll wear it on the right hand, which is what, what I do. I actually wear my wedding band on my right hand now. Um, and then he, I, I thought, yeah, boy, this kid is really trying to bling himself out. He wanted a bracelet as well. And I found one of his dad's kind of just um, gold link bracelets. And little did I know, um, Mike, um, Michael's mother and father were there. And when she saw the bracelet, she said, you know, Michael wore that for his eighth grade graduation as well. That's when they had bought it for him. And I didn't even know that. I had just kind of pulled it out of his jewelry box. Um, so. so adoption was um, kind of how I came, we came to parenting. It was an alternate method. But... Been, been a wonderful experience so far, so far.
1: <laughs> Angel, I'm just gonna ask that you continue with another story with Luke today because he ended up uh, going to a pool party and I, I gotta believe that Mike's spirit is still here and was still kind of ringing true in his head. Can you tell him a, well, a little bit about what you and his grandma had said with regards to the pool today, please?
8: Yes, Um, um, we live in Waldwick up in Bergen County and the Waldwick pool they they have a pool party for the eighth graders after they graduate. So both myself and his grandmother told him no diving and people have been sending me videos all afternoon (laughs) of all of the fun things that have been going on and there was actually a video of Luke and he was kind of running and I think he thought about diving, and it must have been going through his head at the moment, like, oh, I'm not supposed to dive. So he kind of just belly flopped almost and (laughs) fell fell into the water (laughs) and looked a little silly in front of all the girls, but he did not dive. So that was good.
1: (laughs) Well, listen, before we get into parenting, before we get into, because it's all part of family life, before we get into the possibilities of having your own family, whether it be biologically or adopting as well, I want to take our panel back to when they first uh, either acquired their, um, their injury or when um, they actually had an accident or injury because we know it's an accident or injury or they acquired it sometime even when they were born. So I'm gonna ask my panel, uh, if you can rewind that tape of your life a little bit, kind of take yourself back to when that injury first occurred and the effect that it had and how it maybe changed the dynamics at home. Jamil, you want to start with us? Well, sure. Um,
2: well, my injury happened 2002, July 8th, which is six days after my my birthday on July 2nd. Uh, actually, I got shot in Newark, New Jersey, coming from work, leading, coming out of a corner store. I was with an older brother of mine who was, who was driving at that time. So as I'm crossing the street, a car pulled up, shooting at a guy on the other side of the street, and I happened to run in the middle of the street in between the car and the guy. That happened, uh, I spent, the rest of that July in University Hospital, and then it was transferred to uh, Kessler, which I was an inpatient there from August 1st to October 5th, I was discharged. And I've been going back and back to Kessler ever since for outpatient therapy. What it did to my family, I'm the youngest of five, so of course it you know tore the family apart, they were heartbroken. But once they seen my strength and I remained positive, that kind of changed everything. Nobody felt bad for me. I didn't feel bad for myself. I'm always joking, so I still remain, you know. Even in the hospital, I was cracking jokes on my family members coming in to visit me, you know. So that kind of lifted spirits, and they seen that I was still, you know, myself. Uh, you know. Why don't you just want to smile looking at this guy? <laughs> God, Whenever you have God. a bad day, just <laughs> wheel into
1: Kessler. I don't get yeah. paid any money for saying that. I just see this guy.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, but that's always been me, you know, and I I thank God that I still have that characteristic about me because I know a lot of guys who was in the same predicament and, you know, they really don't want to do anything. You know, I still I, I drive myself. I purchased my first home about five years ago. I met my fiance, whom I've been with for 14 years now after, you know, my injury. I never knew it beforehand. And she doesn't. Even her family, like they all treat me just like. Her mom's treat me more of a son. Than he, she would treat her as a daughter. You know, they always make jokes like, "I'm the daughter, and he's not your son." You know, but
1: you think that's funny, huh? I think it's funny. I crack jokes
2: all the time. Yeah, really yeah. Funny too. You know, yeah.
1: Like she's not here right now. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I'm. I'm gonna tell her. You gonna tell her? I'll tell her too. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, the family dynamic is is is, is stronger. You know, a lot of people, they don't get along with their family. They kind of want to be the black sheep after something bad happens and push themselves away. With me, you know, I just kind of came at it with a different approach, just made them more comfortable with it. And even with friends, you know, everybody, I, I can sense when somebody, they don't know how to approach you. You know, they might feel like you're yeah, this angry person because of what happened to you. But, you know, I go, I break the ice, I might just. Go up to you, crack a joke, I might not know you, <laughs> you know, just to the, the loosen the, the, the mood, and, and that kind of works. You know, even like at the job, I was just telling the guy earlier, I'm almost an unofficial, you know, uh, 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 just person people can come talk to. They don't notice I'm in a wheelchair until after I get in my chair and leave from around the desk because I'm always sitting in the office chair. And then they come and ask me anything. Oh, can you think I can uh, speak to you regarding this? I tell him i'm an open book he can talk to me about whatever you know i'm not a shy person anything you want to ask i'll answer it you know but uh yeah i think that kind of sums it up you know
1: so folks i wanted to say this in the beginning is that i, I don't want to hold off till questions at the end so if when Jamil or any one of our panel members is speaking and a question just surfaces that you know what i i want to ask while it's it's right there. Feel free to raise your hand, I'll I'll try to identify you right away, and we'll we'll just address it, rather than having to hold off till the end, so. um, Tim, your story's a little different in that you were born with your disability, so obviously it wasn't something that any family would necessarily be waiting for, just curious how the dynamics um, at home with regards to that adjustment was.
3: There really really was no adjustment. Um, So I was adopted, uh, I guess about eight months old, so, I was born with occultus spina bifida, which, so I had like a tumor on, the, on my lower back in the L5, S1, L4 area. And when my parents adopted me, I already had surgery. They cut the, the lipoma off, and that was it. They didn't tell my parents any different. It was just go about your day. I was a normal child and running around, no problems at all. And then when I started playing baseball, like I guess at like pre puberty, um, my spinal cord was pulling. Not that I knew it, though, but when my father watched me run, I was running kind of weird. So uh, long story short, I had a lipoma. Actually, I had untethering done. The untethering um, did some uh, orthopedic damage to my left leg. Um, I got a limp from that. So from the ages of 12 to 14, 15, I had major surgeries done, and I was only limping. So I was upright, walking around, limping. So as far as the dynamics, as far as the disability, there really was no disability in my eyes or in my parents' eyes. It just kept on going. Um, hit the workforce, was still walking, no problem. I had like a wide gait, you know, that, that kick-out leg-type gait. Uh, I eventually got into the orthopedic business, so I was a trauma consultant. So I sold plates and screws and rods, external fixators, internal fixation, uh, spinal Fixation. I was literally in the OR with surgeons, telling surgeons how to do the surgery. So I did that for 12 years. Um, so knowing what I was up against with my disability coming down the road, I was prepared for it. Seeing what was going on in the OR, etc. And the surgeon that I picked is, is a surgeon that I did surgery with. So I knew his hands, knew he was about. Uh, I had one surgery with him; it was fine. And then my last surgery, which was going on about nine years. I knew I'd be in the wheelchair. I knew eventually I couldn't keep on maintaining the strength that I had. And um, that's where it put me. So as far as the disability in my family, they never really looked at me as being disabled. Even
1: with all those adjustments, surgeries and so forth, they were just totally there and supportive mean, all I'm, the time. A very,
3: I'm a very strong type A personality. Right. Never put me down, never stopped me. Uh, as far as the chair now, uh, to me it's almost, it's not a godsend, but I was working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I had hours like a, like a surgeon. Uh, if I got called at three o'clock in the morning to go to surgery, I had to go to surgery. So being that I have two small children now, I would never would be seeing my kids right now. So at the end of the day, it worked out well. I mean, I'm, I'm set up financially, so it's good that way. Um, and the wheelchair, I don't have a limp now. I just wheel now. (laughs) So it's, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of almost like an ego booster per se, because mentally, you know, I'd walk into a room and you look at me like, you know, this guy's got a limp. But now I, you know, I wheel in the room and it's like, oh, this guy's a big guy, why is he in a wheelchair? So it's kind of like, to me, it's kind of like a game now. Cause they can look at me like, why are you in a wheelchair? Um, I just know I'm not gonna mess with him. <laughs> I mean, he
1: looks, it, looks pretty big, so, so whatever. I just, I
3: just keep on going. Yeah. And being that I have two small children now, um, the dynamics make me want to keep going. Um, and I'm 53 years old now, so I, I gotta keep going for these guys because uh, most of my friends are going downward in life with their college kids and uh, married kids, and I'm going uphill with my kids. <laughs> So I just can't keep stopping thank you thank you carol th- there's absolutely
1: uh an adjustment that took place you a lot of people in your life at the time can you take us through that please
4: yes and i um, as i said before i have four children that are married and i at the time that the accident occurred i had eight grandchildren and the last one was a blessing even more so that he was actually born on my birthday the year that we had the accident but um After the accident, um, everybody pulled together, like, you know, the kids get married, they move off, and, you know, they're on their own, and they get in their own little worlds, but the accident happened, and boom, they all came together. And all of a sudden, my kids became the parents, and I became the kid, at least that's what they made my husband and I feel like, but it was actually good because we needed that help in the beginning like that. But my one son, fortunately, he works in construction, and he had the powers to quickly get my house converted to accessibility. And um, I was very fortunate. If anything could go right, I had many people, friends, uh, who came through with blessings. And it was so remarkable to see how people would pull together to help you. Um, the impact that you make on your family, you don't even realize it. now it's four years later. Now they're all gone back into their routines and we're in our routine and we're doing our thing and whatever. But over the course of the years, um, the things that have come out that I've noticed with my grandchildren who were at that point that they kind of understood a little bit was going on, Like, all of a sudden, my one grandson, who was in fourth grade at the time, and I think he was nine or ten or whatever, um, he he got published. My daughter didn't even know it was coming out, but uh, there was a thing in the local paper how he wrote about an inspiration and how he said, oh, for him, sometimes he doesn't want to get up in the morning. He wants to stay home and not go to school or whatever and play. But he wrote that... But my grandmother, she's been paralyzed, and she can't walk, and she still cooks, and she still does things with me, and she tell, you know still has fun. We still have fun. I try to help her with what I could, and she's an inspiration to me. So that made me feel really good, knowing that I could still promote through my family that I can still be normal, and I can still do things, and I can still move
1: forward. Absolutely. And Rosalie and Jim, um, obviously, I meant there, there was a marriage already in place, which is curious to know how it affected the dynamics here, but also other family members.
5: Well, first of all, I'd like to get, uh, uh, give a background about myself. So uh, before my injury, I was actually working in New York, commuting to New York every day, and then uh, coming home and pick up my kids because it was summer at the time. And I was so busy, I don't stop. I come from, uh, from work, dress them up, bring them to the pool. And after the pool, I bring them to the park because there's a movie going on. And I was really very busy with them, but I liked it because at the time, my daughter is only 10 years old and my son is only three years old. So when, uh, when this thing happened, so then when, um, then when I had my accident, I cannot, uh, people were asking me, were you afraid? I said, no, I wasn't because I didn't know what hit me. I didn't know what this, I said, I was just swimming in the ocean, wave hit me, and then I couldn't move anymore. I said, right in the ocean. And so I still didn't know what it is. So I went to Kessler and then of course, when I got my injury, I cannot move at all, meaning I lost my mobility, I lost my sensation. I was like a newborn. Now I have, been, I have to be taken care of. And I was like, I don't understand this. Why is it like, I thought that as soon as, you know, um, when the doctor was telling me, we have to repair your, uh, your neck, we have, you have to have a surgery you know? and all that. I was like, fine, 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 just do it, just do it. I said, you know, because I was thinking after my surgery, I'll be up and going. Like maybe a little bit, you know, uh, hospitalization here and there. But I thought like after my coming out of the hospital, I'll be up and going. And then when I wasn't, I was like, what is this? I keep on asking the therapist, what is it? I must have asked them a hundred times like, why is it I'm not moving? I have a family to take care of. They're only 10 and three, they're babies. And now I need to be taken care of. I cannot move anything. I can, they have to feed me, they have to clothe me, everything. And I was like, how am I supposed to go home like this? So it was such a, that's the, not even, that's the first thing that came to my mind It's like, How am I supposed to take care of my children when I have to be taken care of? And then now I feel, I'm thinking of Jim like, now he doesn't have, he has to take care of our children by himself and now to take care of me too. That's really took me a long time to accept. But then when I was there, I said, okay, fine. I mean, I used my negative traits, meaning impatient, I'm very, I'm not patient, I'm stubborn, I'm, yes. yeah, I'm hard at it, that and no one, with <laughs> I don't take no for an answer, no one can stop me. So I used that, I said, you know what, I'm not gonna let it stop me. So actually, before, I was at Kessler for 10 weeks, but by the seventh week, that's when I started you know, my arms, my fingers. As soon as I got my fingers going, I said, I can pick that. And only two fingers, I will feed myself. And I said, okay, you don't need to feed me. I'm okay. And they gave me something to be able to feed myself. I did that too. So I decided I need to learn to do these things for myself first. So then there'll be less work for anyone that will help me, especially Jim I'm thinking about. I'm really thinking about him the whole time to be able to take care of myself, so that was the last thing for him to do. So then um, when I got, so before I went home, actually, I have actually um, decided to direct my therapy. I asked them, if I'm strong enough, can I get up the stairs? Can I transfer? The first thing I did is, like, I want to be able to transfer from my wheelchair to the car. I accomplished that. I am accomplished to even be able to walk up the stairs with help and to feed myself and to clothe myself. They will wake me up in the morning to bring me to the bathroom and be, teach me how to shower myself, to clean myself. So I tried to learn all of that before I even went home because I know that what I'm going through when I get home, I'm not going to have anyone there. Jim has to go to work or he was working from home. And the kids need help still. So that's the way I deal with it. I said, I would not let anything stop me. And to this day, I've gotten more progress. I'm not only able to take care of myself. I cannot cook it. We have a a full-time aide that we have at home to do the chores for me. But every decision that needs to be made, I make it. I have to take care of my children, and and I do volunteer work. I go outside, and I do what I can to do.
1: Thank you. Jim, you know what? A lot of people run in the opposite direction. Um, They can't deal. They don't want to deal, and it's not to judge anyone. We can all hope that we can respond in a positive way and either dealing with the paralysis ourselves or having to support that loved one that has a disability. What's the first thing that was going through your mind? And from a personal standpoint with regards to your role as a husband and as a father and all these other roles, how did you initially feel?
6: Uh, so uh, probably the thing that comes most to mind is when Rosalie got hurt, uh, it was, she was coming towards the end of her stay at Kessler where she was impatient for about two months. And uh, before she was coming home, that's when we got hit with Hurricane Sandy. Uh, so as Rosie mentioned, our kids were about, uh, 10 and three and, um, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know your name. I'm sorry. Carol. Carol. So we were lucky like Carol was, um, that we had a lot of family, uh, rally around us during that time. Um, my parents took the kids, uh, during Sandy because we knew they were going to, we were going to get hit hard in New Jersey and they were in Pennsylvania. So they took them, they took the kids. Uh, so what Scott mentioned for really what comes to mind for me is, Sandy hits, now I'm home in a dark, cold house by myself, no kids, wife is definitely gonna have issues, uh, lifelong issues, so you have a couple choices. You either, I'm looking outside, I'm watching the storm go by, and you either run towards the storm and you're not afraid of it, or you back down and you really have to make the choice to push forward every day. Um, and that's what I did, and that's what we continue to do every day. Um, uh, That was about seven, almost seven years ago at this point, so uh, the first six months were definitely probably the worst. You go through, honestly, you go through the five stages of grief, uh, as I'm sure everyone can relate. Uh, For me, it was a lot of anger, uh, no doubt, Um, and uh, you push through that, you get to the other side, and uh, in some ways, life is even a little bit better for us because, as Rosie mentioned, she was in New York. I still work in New York. Um, she's now able to stay home with the kids. She volunteers at the school. She's on the PTO. She's the class mom. She volunteers at the church. Um, and she runs our house so someone calls me up and asks me a question, and I say, I don't know. I have to talk to my cruise director. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Hold on, so. no, wait a minute. Janelle, are you listening
1: to this? <laughs> <laughs> Just checking. Okay, okay.
6: Take a Okay. Um, so, you know, it's it was very important. You know, it it made things a little bit worse, but once you got past that part, it, uh, it, it also helped make things a little bit better. Um, and as a caregiver, um, you know, you have to take time every day, I think, for yourself, especially if you're working or doing something else uh, outside of the caregiving. Um, You don't want to burn yourself out, as they were mentioning earlier. Um, You want to stay healthy as much as you can, uh, especially if you have young children. Uh, They were 10 and 3 at the time, so all of our thoughts were and focus was on them. Um, But now that we're past that, you you have to take time to yourself every day, otherwise you can very easily burn out. So, let
5: me say, uh, that's one thing that Jim and I talk about. Like, okay, there were kids; we cannot let my disability change the way they grow up. So, meaning, uh, we did not stop them from doing things in one way or another. We'll find people to bring them to whatever they're doing. So they're living a full life because uh, we want them to have a nice life and a normal life growing up uh, growing up, so that, um, you know, they will not hopefully not be mad at me for missing something or and really be sad like, oh, I, didn't, I was not able to do that because my mom is in the wheelchair. So we try not to really... Um, Change their lifestyle or change their thing. Now, my son is actually in karate, he's doing soccer. We, we, whatever uh, we can do to have him enjoy
1: normal life. So it's almost keeping yeah. a sense of normalcy as yeah. much as Correct. you can. Exactly. And navigating right. paralysis. Yep. Yep.
5: And they deserve that.
1: Sorry? But it shouldn't, though.
3: It shouldn't stop. It shouldn't stop. No, right, it shouldn't. No, but it
1: shouldn't. It shouldn't. Mm, no, it shouldn't. No, right. It could be different.
3: I, I get more pictures. Of, my kids come home with me in a wheelchair, though, from, from our class... <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, And you're always in the middle. Uh, yeah, I got it. Yeah. And you're always in the middle of the picture. I didn't
3: realize my head was so small.
5: My was <laughs> <laughs> and if I may say also, like, when I go to schools, oh, I, I, be, I am demanding. That's another thing I didn't say earlier. So I demand that they actually have the, um, what do you call it, the uh, accessibility. Like, I went to the high school and I was like, where's the bathroom here? Is this accessible? I, I checked the bathroom, it's like, it's not accessible. I went to the principal and he said, you know you don't have an accessible bathroom here. It's like, I might, I might be the only one here, but who knows, someone may be coming also. And I said, I have son, I'll still be coming. So you need to make that, a, please. I said, please have an accessible bathroom. And they said, okay, fine. We have the teacher's lounge, there. it's accessible. You have the key to that and then also an uh, elevator. I was like, they're all full of stairs. It's like, how am I supposed to come up here? I said, oh, okay, we have an elevator there. Just let us know when you're coming and we'll make sure that it's open for you. I said, okay. And then, uh, then I even talked to the superintendent super of the district. It's like, these schools are not accessible. You have to have accessibility in all the schools. I said, because no, you don't know who's gonna come. And at the same time, Grandparents could be coming also. It may not just be me, but grandparents. And even a a kid could be in a wheelchair coming to the school system. I said, you really need to think about that. And so I'm still working on that. And um, just one thing that I do now for, you know, because wherever I go, even restaurants, I tell them, you don't have an accessible bathroom or you don't have a ramp here, how am I supposed to go? So I, I, know I'm making the world. I'm so sorry. I've been demanding. Don't apologize. I'm we making just making the world.
1: Rosalie, we just know who wears the pants in the family. I, <laughs> I, I absolutely, still know, does. That. Still absolutely does. know that.
5: Absolutely know that. But I just it actually took me a while for him uh, to, for me to call in advance. If it's anything accessible, and he asked me, did you ask? It's like, no, oh, you're right, I'm disabled, I'm in a wheelchair, I forgot it sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, okay, I, I'm, you're, I'm supposed to do that, so now, so that, like I said, so I can, I can go with my family, I don't, so I can go with my family. We've been going on vacation now. We've gone to Mexico, and so, so then we can have our family vacation as well, and have the kids enjoy that, too.
1: Thank you, Rosalie. Sure. Cassandra, you had a lot going on at the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kid.
7: That it did. Take
1: us through that a little bit.
7: Um, well, when I went in to have my twins, I had to have an emergency C-section due to preeclampsia, and instead of injecting the epidural medication in my spine, they injected cardiac medication. So, as a result, I was paralyzed from the waist down. Once I started to regain feeling, I had to learn how to walk, all that fun stuff. But when it first happened, my entire family was in shock and didn't know what to do. My husband and my parents and his parents, everybody. So they all basically, you know, supported my husband in any way they possibly could because I was put in an induced coma due to me screaming and crying in pain when it happened. Of course, the boys, this was after the boys were out. They were healthy and whatnot. I was in recovery when it hit me and I started screaming. Uh, So my husband took care of all that. And at first it, like, when I first got home from um, Impatient Kessler, which was a month and a half after everything happened, Muslim was telling me about how he had issues with um, family and friends and all that. And we have since tried to build those relationships back up, but it hasn't been easy. But when I first came home, everything was just a complete mess. And I was withdrawn. I was angry. I was nasty. And... My husband is a godsend like I had said earlier because he put up with it all and he has since told me that I am the strongest person he has ever met because I even though I was nasty I didn't give up and I pushed through and as you guys can see I'm walking to that so it really does uh, help to have that support system and have someone who's not going to give up on you whether it's your significant other or it's you know other family members because even um, his parents and my parents and my in-laws of you know siblings and whatnot, they all said, you know, you can do this, you can do this, and anything we need it, even it was just, can you just come over and hang out with me for an hour because I don't want to be alone with my children who were babies and I had no idea what I was doing and how I was going to take care of them in a wheelchair because I didn't know if I would ever walk again. So it's just truly amazing how sometimes a tragedy can pull your family together and really put their colors through and see how great people can be, or can do the complete opposite and bring out the, the really nastiness in people. And fortunately for me, it didn't happen the the bad way. It went the good way. So I was really lucky in that situation and I'm grateful for them. And, um, even though there was issues between my husband and my friends, you know, they, they just understood what, what he was going through and where he was coming from. And, uh, you know, I've like I said, I built those relationships back up with them and they're they're great now. You know, they say, Well you you know, we'll text you once in a while, smiley face, hi, how you doing, all that fun stuff. And when you know, when you're able to see us or you want company, you text us and we'll be there, and they always have been since they said that. So it's really been a a blessing that things have turned out the way they have with them, with all my relationships, family and friends included. Thank you,
1: Cassandra. Before we transition to, I was going to say, before we transition to parenting, there was a lot that was just shared here. Does anybody have any questions? Did you have some questions in the front? Please.
0: I don't have a question, but I have a comment that I will be remiss if I don't speak up. I could talk to you for the next five hours. We have so much in common. Rosalie, I've always been connected with you. I see you all over the halls of Kessler. The only reason why I haven't called you is because I am so busy also. And I, my kids were three, six, and seven when I got hurt. I came wow. home four months later because I'm a Kessler graduate. But what I, I want to tell you is that um, life is so hard, okay? For anybody it's hard. Try. Going through life paralyzed, like we, we're all rock stars. We are, we are rocking life when, and life is so hard. And you know, you're gonna be superheroes to your kids because when your kids grow up and their parents. They're going to say this is the hardest job in the world. How did my parents do it, and they were paralyzed? How did they do it? Yeah, when
1: is my daughter going to say that, by the way? <laughs> she will. I promise. When? I just need a time frame. <laughs> oh man! Okay. I know. I know. I know.
0: So I just, I just hope that all. So, I relate to the most to Rosalie. My life is just like yours. I have a rock star husband. I volunteer. I cook. I chauffeur. I I do everything for my kids. So active in my church, but I feel victorious twenty four seven. Don't you all Don't you all feel victorious?
7: The,
1: <laughs> the worst thing. Oh my goodness. No, it is it's, it is heaven and hell, and I'm yes. glad that my panel yes. backed me up on that because Kessler would never invite me back to do anything if they didn't.
0: Oh my goodness. Um,
1: but it is that way. But if you think yeah. about it, is that in those moments of hell, you learn so much. in that, that moment feels like the end of the world. Mm. And we all oh. went through that experience. Oh, yes. And, and we've been through a lot of, but you look back on them, and whether it's character, whether it's resilience, whatever it is, that's what those moments Built within us. Oh. And then the heaven. I, I'm sure that, uh, you know what, whether it's friendships, you just said that you developed here. Had this not happened, would you have even been in oh one my mother's life? So no, I'm the, euphoric. So many, I so am euphoric
0: blessings. all the time. Yes. You're
1: euphoric all the
0: time? Well, most of the time. Well, I'm also. I'm well, also. I'm, an, an, no,
1: I'm just kidding. I'm
0: also on Cymbalta. That has something to do with it. <laughs> what?
1: Cymbalta. What's Cymbalta? What's that? It's an <laughs>
0: antidepressant that they use for neurogenic pain. Oh,
1: they should be a sponsor here. Man, I do not have (laughs) a a bad day.
0: (laughs) I do not have a bad day. But I just want to say I admire all of you with a capital A. Because I know how hard life is. Life was hard before my spinal cord injury. And now, you know, and it's very hard now. But I have a great husband like Jim is. And we have a saying that um, equaled yours. My husband loves the movie Ramshaw Redemption, of mm-hmm. Redemption, and there's oh, shaw a line shaw in rede- there. Shaw redemption.
5: redemption. right?
0: Well, yeah. Okay. No Never. problem. Whatever. Whatever. Okay. And he always says, you either she get like busy that, living though. or you get busy dying. Oh, and, I love that. And he's been part of the solution ever since, you know, yeah. 17 years now for me. Mm. So. But I just want to, I had, I had to just, I love you guys. that I don't even know you,
1: but I love you. <laughs> Thank you for sharing it. Thank you. Thank you. Any other questions so far as we transition to parenting? Okay. Well, Angela, I, I want to start with you. So um, Michael was, his level of quadriplegia again was? C5, C6. C5, C6. So when you adopted Luke, um, what were some of those things that came easily to him from a physical standpoint in doing with Luke? What were maybe some of those areas where he needed assistance, but he was still able to do it? And where were those areas that maybe he, he didn't even go to that may, maybe bothered him at times? But again, anytime you were to see these three, but see Michael and his son as well, you would see that like just so much was overcome. But there was such a love and a bond. You would see this little boy just leaning against his dad whenever he could. Every once in a while, his dad would, like, uh, with his power chair, move up or move backwards just to see his son fall. I mean, it, it was, it was <laughs> great to see the chemistry that those two had and the three of them had. But he could take us through some of those adjustments that were there. And, and I know it must be tough for you because you're there knowing that you can do all these things, but knowing full well how important it was for Michael to do them.
8: Yeah, well, it's funny you say that when we adopted luke michael was in a manual chair so there was a lot that you know i still needed to do to help michael and luke was very little at the time so um you know go- going out going shopping actually i never needed to bring a stroller because michael was a stroller he would have luke on his lap and all the christmas presents on his lap and everything attached to the back of the chair and things like that um, but when michael moved to the power chair all of a sudden, he was able to take off with Luke, and they could kind of do their own thing, and they had a lot of you know, um, bonding time. But then I'm like, now what do I do? <laughs> so there wasn't a whole lot there that I felt uh, uh, that I could help with at that point. Um, I think the thing that helped Michael the most, and there were challenges, believe me, as a, as a parent, um, uh, a quadriplegic parent, and he was eight months old when we got him. Um, And we would put him, you know, down on the floor and he wasn't even walking when we first got him and he would just kind of take off with that commando crawl and Michael would look at me with this terror in his (laughs) eyes like, I can't get him. I can't get him. And I think that was one of the biggest challenges. Like, he would look to me like, make sure you keep track of him because he's going to get away from me really fast and I'm not going to be able to get him and he's going to get himself into some really, um, you know, not such great situations. But Michael dealt with everything in his life, whether it was parenting, his disability, his job, with a sense of humor. And just when you were saying that, Scott, about, you know, moving a little bit away from him to see if he would fall down, um, he always kept that sense of humor about um, his life and about parenting. And I think Luke has adopted that way about him um, as well that he got from his dad. So, uh, I mean, obviously he was an adaptable child from the beginning. I mean, he was, you know, taken away from the um, foster family, flown halfway around the world, handed off to people who he didn't even know. And he never even, you know, cried at all. He just kind of looked around and said, "Who, who are you? You know, with that look on his face but he saw growing up how his father dealt with life and dealt with his disability and the resiliency that he showed and really not complaining. I mean, he didn't complain too much he, and he didn't want any accolades that he was doing anything different. He just wanted, and everybody would say to Michael, oh, you're such a great inspiration or look at what you're doing and I can't believe everything. And Michael would just say, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a father. And I think Luke has learned that as well because when people would say to him, Luke, wow, what a, what a great, amazing time or job that you're doing dealing you know, with your dad not being around. And Luke just kind of looks at people and like, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I think somebody was saying here about keeping things as, um, I hate the word normal, but keeping things stable. And after Michael passed away, that was really the goal was just to kind of keep Luke's life as stable as possible, keep him with his friends, keep him with sports. Um, keep him in you know with his school friends and that was all really important Um, so there's there were definitely challenges but the adaptability and the sense of humor um, that michael had and that we both kind of shared together is what got us through and i think that's been passed on to our son and that's a great gift and a great legacy
1: thank you i i wanted to share um, i could spend all day with you talking about parenting experiences Um, i wanted to share one because Again, there are rewards and there are challenges just with any parent. I, I find it very interesting how we need to get a license uh, to drive a car. We need a license to go fishing. We need a library card to take a library card out. But yet, they'll send anyone home with a parent. It's actually kind of scary because it's the toughest job in the world. But I'll never forget my, uh, when my daughter was born, and um, I'm a T78 paraplegic. So, again, in terms of hands, arms, everything's good. Balance is an issue from time to time. So um, it was, my daughter was born in November, so I think it was January, it was a snowfall outside. My wife wanted to go outside and uh, do a little shoveling. Um, and, and no one come up to me and so say, I could rig something up to your chair, because I'm not going to be shoveling any <laughs> snow. Something I don't do, I stay in my lane. Anyway, is that, I know some of you are looking over here, don't look at me that way. Um <laughs> But anyway, so I said to my wife, I was like, honey, go out. That's fine. I got what if she starts crying? I was like, I will let you know. So she's in the bottom of a playpen. And so you might say, if she starts crying and she needs attention, what are you going to do? And I said, I, I don't know. I'll figure it out. I'll come get you. The biggest thing is, I'll come get you. Deep down inside, I know I wasn't getting her. I knew there was a moment, whether it be kids who are our greatest teachers or anything, there are moments where we say, you know what? I gotta figure this out. I gotta get creative. I don't care necessarily what I was taught in rehab. I need to do this and I need to be creative. Anyway, within five minutes, daughter started crying. And so I looked down in the playpen and she was wearing one of those onesies, the zipper that goes all the way up in the front. And I just looked at her in those beautiful brown eyes. Thank God she looks like my wife. Is that? And I said, Nia, we gotta do this together. And it was almost like the crying stopped a little bit, but she just needed some comfort. So I remember just grabbing her onesie right here, one hand, just grabbing the whole onesie. She probably had a t-shirt underneath it. I probably took a layer of skin too, but whatever it was. And I looked at her right in the eye. I held on with the other hand and I started to lift her. Now you might say, well, what happened to her neck? What happened to her body? Whatever, she went rigid. (laughs) And she just went up and all of a sudden I got her like right here and I put her on my lap. And it was a matter of minutes and she fell back asleep. My wife's like, came in, she's like, what just happened? I was like, I got my daughter. (laughs) And what was amazing, years later when my son was born, same thing happened and I don't know what it is, same thing happened and I lifted him up and I did that. Now you tell my daughter about it, and she's like, I could have broken my neck. You could have gotten a spasm and fallen out of your chair. I'm just letting you know, for every single thing that your mind may be telling you as to what you can't do, whether it be as a parent or living life with your paralysis, for every one thing you can't do, there's 10,000 things that you still can do. And I will tell you, as much as I joke about in terms of what my, my daughter... Uh, will put me through. I would not trade it for the world. She's the first girl in 72 years on my side of the family. We don't even know how to wipe girls on my side of the family. (laughs) But that was more important to me than walking again. And I can't speak on behalf of anyone. There may be people in here that, you know what, I want to have children. And that could be the same way that if you were on your feet. And that's fine. There could be others of you that, you know, I'm just really concerned right now. I don't know how I'm going to have my own child. And so what's interesting, and I was corrected, and, and I need to say something, because I, I know Angela's down there. I was giving a speaking presentation. And I said, during the presentation, I really wanted to have my own child. And all of a sudden, the lady was very insulted in my audience, and she's like, I have adopted children, and they are my own children. And I said, you're absolutely right. I have my own biological children. And if for whatever reason, And it's still something my wife and I talk about is adopting a child, is that, and we knew that may be the case with us. If we had to adopt a child, that would be my child as well. And there would be no less love or anything like that. So uh, I'm all about learning and growing. But you know what I'm gonna do? And he has no idea this is coming. So I know (laughs) know what, and and this is important because I know there's someone out there that might be similar. You don't have the smile this guy has, okay? you want to be a dad someday? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What goes through your mind with regards to you know what that process or the ifs or the when's or the I can't or anything like that? Anything go through your mind or you just have I'm a trust in
2: the it. process? I trust the process. Yeah, fully. Okay. Uh, so that's about life. Okay. You okay. know what you're gonna get when you get out of bed, do you? Same with parenting. You trust the process. Yeah, uh, trust the process.
1: Okay. But I'll tell you right now. I already know who's gonna wear the pants in your family. I got 'em on, <laughs> on out. I got 'em on
2: out. I love that.
1: I, I will tell you. Then I want to go down because I know um, we're a little pressed for time too. But um, I know there's some out there thinking. You know what? What's the process look like for you? And I could say is that. And my wife, again, being a physical therapist, she didn't know what she um, what was going to happen with us. We didn't know if we were going to have our own biological children or we'd have to adopt. The bottom line is we both wanted children. So uh, I actually was told I had a 5% chance, and the longer that I was paralyzed in a wheelchair, the more those numbers would get worse based on my count and everything else. I ended up raising that to 55, but that's a whole other process that we could talk about later. but what was interesting is that so, and I heard from the last panel discussion, everything. Uh, um, one of those people um, not consistently can have sex once in a while, but not everything operates the way it should. But one thing I absolutely don't do is I don't ejaculate. So the chances of us conceiving that way wasn't gonna happen. So I forget exactly, I actually texted my wife about half an hour before this. I was like, what was the name of that procedure? that we had done where they had to go inside and and retrieve your spur, And um, she didn't remember all that she could remember. You ready for this? My doctor and I still think he's practicing. My doctor, my urologist's name, who did the procedure, his name is Dr. Seaman. I'm not joking about that. Perfect. But I'll never forget, I was put under, and he said he was seconds away from closing me up and just saying, Scott, there's nothing here. I had a blockage in one of my tubes and I'll never forget him saying is that, Scott, I unleashed this blockage, and you want to talk about the biggest egotistical thing that I could ever feel in my life? I said, Doc, what does that mean? He said, Scott, you probably can impregnate the whole East Coast if you want to. <laughs> I was like, hear me roar, world. <laughs> he
2: opened the floodgates. We had to go the in
1: vitro route. And you talk about a root and having to inject my wife and do all these things, which was painful and everything. For everything that we had to go through and not knowing if we were going to have children at all, when I started going around to the different centers that we were thinking of doing this through, we we settled on a company, uh, RMA, Reproductive Medical Associates. And we went there and we knew our story going in and this is it. We were there with families eight, nine, 10 years who still weren't able to make in vitro work. My wife and I did it two times and both times it took. And so as someone had mentioned it before, you know what? And, and I don't like to go there, but sometimes we need that to put life in perspective. You know what, it could always be worse. It could always be more challenging. Don't go there right away because I don't want you to feel sorry for another human being, do not. But if you feel like you can't get out of your own way and you're struggling with something, just ask yourself how much more challenging it could actually be. I'm ask anybody else on my panel, difficulties with regards to possibly having a child, wanting to have a child. Anybody from that?
3: Yeah, mine, was, uh, mine was easy. Best ten seconds
1: of my life. <laughs> Best <second? laughs> Twice. There you go, yeah. twice. So, a ha- ha- t- little bit for the group. So,
3: no. Uh, well, my wife was pregnant before uh, before I was in a wheelchair, for for my son. They uh, like I said I came home a week before she gave birth, and then uh, it's funny when I when I had my surgery, and I had, I had several spine surgeries, and the, the last surgery. I would always go in, no big deal. All right, I'm going for surgery, I'm going to sleep for a little bit, I come out, it's all good. And then they said, you know, hey, you may be in a wheelchair. You may not be able to have kids again. You may not be able to do this. And it kind of struck me. I was like, oh, this is kind of real this time. And it, it was real. So I wound up in a wheelchair, but luckily my wife was pregnant. And they said about the second time, it may not happen, but it, it happened. It's still good. It's still great. Um, and as I said, we have, you know, we have two children, so we have a boy and a girl, and uh, you know, her tubes are all done now. So the factory's closed on that end. Uh, but no. <laughs> we got great kids, though. So, and and as, far as, uh, as far as you're saying it's going to happen, I look at you, I man. You, you got the stature. You got what I have. Right. You can make it happen. And you're at that perfect level for changing diapers. Yeah. Med uh. <laughs> scene so out. It's all good. It just, it just comes. So, you know, people say, how do you do it? No matter if you're standing in your wheelchair or whatever it may be, it just happens. You just do it. Just do simple it. Simple as that.
7: Right. For more information about Kessler Foundation and our researchers, go to KesslerFoundation.org. That's K-E-S-S-L-E-R-F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N.org. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram,
2: listen to us on SoundCloud, and tweet with us on Twitter.